Kia ora Aotearoa, Robert Hollis here. Welcome to Robert Live, a show It's pretty simple. We talk about commerce, creativity, culture, community, and so much more. Hope your day is going well. Hope everything is charging along for you this week. Uh, today I'm very fortunate enough to have the CEO of Child Fund New Zealand, Mark Collins, join us. Who is Mark? Oh, He's been the CEO of a bunch of stuff, including Mike Perry Mortgage, Mortgages, New Zealand Home Loans, and now he's switched over to the charity side. So I'm going to be digging into what made the shift, what keeps him rolling, how the space is looking, and so much more. Don't forget with the show, you can also uh, download the Rover app if you're on your smartphone, or Spotify, wherever you get your different podcasts, and search up for hashtag RebetLive um, to check out a whole bunch of different interviews which we have with many, many awesome Kiwis, and more from all over the show. We're over 300 episodes now. We're doing it. We're loving it. And the main reason I do it is I've got a simple thing on my wrist that says learn, share, repeat. And why I do that is I try to figure out who I know, who I can learn from, what can I then share with others, and how do I keep that going to pass it on to people like you. I believe New Zealand wins when New Zealand does win. And part of my show with Rebecca Live is to showcase some more of the thinking and the awesome stuff that others are doing. So without further ado, enjoy the banter with Mark Collins. Rock and roll. Kia ora, Mark. How are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you going? I am cruising, rolling, living the California dream, although it is starting to absolutely piss down in the city, which is not good, but it's great because Tahoe's only had two and a half hours away and they've already got a foot, so I'm about to start shredding again soon, so I'm I'm very happy indeed. How about yourself? How's the Puhoi, Mark? Yeah, no, it's going well here. I'm um, beaming to you from Puhoi in Auckland uh, where there's no snow. Uh, but I do love Tahoe. I remember going there. Oh, that's incredible snow up there. So you're very lucky to live in that, that it, area of the world. It, it was, um, I've been back and forth for 20 years now to Southlake. And so through the world of snow and all that, it's been um, very blessed indeed. But we're not here to talk about snow. We're here to talk no. about you, my friend. And I want to no. jump with a quick little segue around. And this is something that when I knew that I was going to be talking to you, I was extremely interested in because... You've gone from CEO of New Zealand Home Loans, CEO of Liberty Financial, CEO of Mike Perry Mortgages, and then you've just gone left, and now we're going into <laughs> Child, Fund, Child Fund New Zealand, which is, and I've got to, and why I'm interested to start here, Mark, is because a, a friend of mine went through a similar journey of um, corporate, big, massive dollars, big stuff, and he had a moment, he woke up, and he said, stuff this noise, I'm going left and going to, and went to something that was a bit more fulfilling for the soul. So maybe we'll start here, Mr. Mark Collins. Was there a moment that made you go left real quick from gnarly financial <laughs> stuff straight into the C Chief Executive Officer of Child Fund New Zealand? And I'm extremely interested to know what that moment potentially was. Okay, cool. Uh, well, um, I, I'm not wanting to disappoint, but not an exact moment. There was a one moment where we did we'd change, but it's probably been building over time. Um, ever since I started my corporate career, which is late in my life, I, I didn't start really a corporate world till I was 30. I sort of spent the 20s traveling and working jobs for fun to fund the travel. Um, but I got to a point um, after doing multiple roles, as you do, and I tend to find I get to a point where I've achieved what I think I can achieve with my skills and capabilities on the way through. And so therefore I moved to the next one. But all the way through, I kept thinking it, it must be more uh, more than just shareholder return, right? So I started, um, and, and like anything, I'm sure you had the same, you learn more from the jobs that were terrible and the managers that were awful 
then you learn from the ones that were great. And one that really turned me was a, a company in um, England, my first commercial job, and they did outsourcing of uh, council work. Very, very boring stuff, like processing, you know, uh, poll tax applications and stuff like that. It was just boring as hell. But the guy who ran it was just a Jack Welsh uh, GE circa Six Sigma guy, and he used to come down and it was all about profit. Everything was, there was no conversation about your people, no conversation about your stakeholders, no conversation about your customers, suppliers. They were all just a way for him to make money. And so I left there and then I went through multiple other places and everyone had a slightly lesser view, but that's probably been building over time. So when I became a CEO of New Zealand Home Loans, I did a um, tripartite arrangement with Child Cancer Foundation because I really wanted to give back more than just take money off the table and deliver it to a shareholder, whether, whoever that shareholder may be. In Mike Perro, I ran the Mike Perro Foundation that Mike had actually started, which was really cool. Um, it, it delivered into the market, into the uh, local communities, things that were different, um, that between charities and perhaps where the government, the, the middle ground where people couldn't get help. And I just, it just started fulfilling my soul. Um, and I really thought that there was, a, there's an obligation on organizations actually to be better at this stuff to look at how, how good a customer are you to your suppliers? You know, uh, it's the financial hat says, let's let's push the terms of payment out longer, but is that being a good customer? There's, there's people at the other end, they have jobs. You know, how, how good a supplier are you? Uh, how much, you know, are you looking after your community? So, so there was all of that build up. And then of course the wonderful COVID came along. And I remember being on the beach with my partner, Debbie, and we were talking about, I'd been at Liberty for about six years at the time, five and a half years. You know, what's the next step? You know, how long will I be here? And we just said, well, actually, why don't we do something different? And so we actually went and bought the Puhoi Kayak Company on a whim. And so we thought, let's start a side hustle for the weekend. It's a businessman running for, you know, 25 years. And, and we bought it, didn't know what the hell we were doing. But it's okay, we, we did, did manage it and still do. And Devs runs that. And that just gave me a, a shock I needed, I think, to say, okay, if I can do that, then maybe I can do something else with my life as well. And I started looking and Child Fund came up. There was a lot of charities um, swapping CEOs at the time. But what I loved about Child Fund is they had firstly a very, very strong board um, and a very clear mandate to improve two key parts of their business. One was improve their fundraising significantly, which obviously with a finance background kind of uh, kept me interested. Um, but the other one was to become New Zealand's most impactful charity. And that just really talked to me because that's that's a pretty laudable goal. Um, and because it worked with children, I've got children of my own. I worked with, I taught Japanese children, English overseas for years. So I just know the power that children can bring to things. So it just all fell into place. And so probably the moment was that moment on Takapuna Beach, uh, somewhat in during COVID lockdown. Yeah, it's it's, but what's interesting about that, Mark, is it was clearly those seeds were planted years ago in England when you realize that there's got to be a better way to, to do it or yeah. operate. And and what it feels that the wave has shifted to definitely with more, more leadership and stuff within the commerce sector is going, yes, the profit is good, but what's the purpose behind it? Who are the people behind it? How do, does that actually build out? And it's almost like it feels that business to doing good is becoming kind of like what the entrepreneurs did as years ago. It was, ah, oh, who are these kind of losers? And now it's kind of the cool thing to do. Yeah, and all yeah. of a sudden business is going down the same thing of like, oh yeah, sustainability and green and all these other things. That was not the case, you know, 10, 20 years ago. 
But I think and I feel that as well, when you look at even just the marketplace have been more, you know, more an employee's market where people have options and they want to get be somewhere where they feel like it's making more of an impact. Do you feel the shift is is making net net businesses at a macro more purposeful and better because these things aren't just tick the box? And it's actually the people within them are really wanting to have this impact that you're talking about, still being able to have the balance. Do you feel shift in how business is now? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, look, I think if you go back sort of 10 or 15 years, uh, there was a lot of, you know, greenwashing. Um, it was everyone had to be on the green bandwagon and, and be sustainable, plant a tree on the weekend and you've got to you know, tick a box somewhere. Um, and that tends to happen with change. You know, there's some early adopters that kind of try to find a cheap and easy way to do stuff. But it's not just staff now and leaders. It's actually customers that are demanding it. Um, we're all demanding it. You know, um, I think none of us are saying that the world is uh, in a great place right now, climate-wise. Um, I think you know, just the just the natural disasters that carry on. And then, you know, obviously in my world, I get access and I get. Um, I get access to see that the impact that it has on the deprived people, which is just way worse than it has on the, the first world and the developed world. And and I think strongly that the next generation of consumers and leaders and staff, you know, sort of my kids and my um, their peers are 100%. If you're not doing good, you know, we're going to start choosing a company that is. And so it starts with cheap, greenwashing advertising and then it starts to set root within these companies and now we're getting more and more companies coming to the charity sector saying how can we work together and some of them are natural fits yeah i was going to say mark some one of the things i've noticed too in this, this intersection is the same wave of that's happening with this for good not just necessarily profit driven on the commerce side is actually really copy paste to the wave of happening within culture and commerce where you know 10 20 years ago it wasn't that cool to be you know chucking the tereo stuff out there or saying kia ora morena all these other things and now as soon as it's multi language week you get all these ce's going oh kia ora whanau baba all this other <laughs> stuff what's what's I, I think my sort of take on that is it's great that they're doing it, but it feels like it's that next wave of um, not greenwashing or tick the box stuff, but there's a danger where these things which are actually important for all should never get treated like they're a campaign. Yep. And the danger I feel when I look at some of these things, especially if it's charity or tick the box stuff or cultural stuff or whatever, I'm going, is that for the thing or is that because it actually is, you know? Yeah. Um, do you do you feel that um, that's something that you've potentially noticed as well? Where some I, I kind of feel it's like the the perceived liability is actually the is becoming the asset, you know. And yeah, do you, um, how do you think that? Do you see that playing out? Yeah. Look, I, I think um, where where that's at New Zealand right now is we're at the beginning of the greenwashing thing. It's now becoming. Yeah, I think someone described the other day as the brown washing. You know, where you, you use all the Maori language and but actually it doesn't mean anything to you. Um, I think there are many companies and organizations, including ours, going on actually um, very authentic journeys. Uh, they want to actually understand how the Māori worldview can help embed great culture within companies. And obviously, you can imagine from our perspective, we're, we're starting our own um, journey with this sort of stuff. Because if we can understand our indigenous population better and the way they work, we work in places, you know, like um, PNG and Solomon's, Timor-Leste and Vietnam, it will be easier for us to then understand a, a community worldview of other indigenous populations. So 
Um, I do see it. Uh, again, I, my, I'm hopeful that those early adopters that are just doing the let's use the language for a campaign will eventually transform into something different. And I think the best example, uh, I, I think in New Zealand has done really well is Air New Zealand. You know, uh, and I fly a bit for work and, you know, I remember the uh, the videos that you have and the first came out, there was Richard Simmons. Do you remember the Richard Simmons one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were really funny. And then there was the Lord of the Rings one. It was, a, you know, that was kind of cool and funky at the time. But over time, you can watch that change. And now we're seeing the latest one, which is about Tiaki uh, and, and his journey. And it's it's actually really talks to you when you're sitting there. And mm. I'm very proud of that. And, I'm, I'm, you know, there are people coming from overseas, coming to our country, and they, the first thing they're going to see about it is the fact that we have a very focus, a very big focus on our Indigenous people. And, and are we doing well at it? No, we're not. We're on the start of a journey. But it's better to be on the start of it than not at all. I mean, Andrew Baker and uh, Henare Johnson, who were the big main drivers in there when they started this this journey, I talked to them a, a, quite a bit about it. And I just kept, you know, similar same lines of, it's funny how the thing that wasn't cool was becoming cool, huh? That's <laughs> like, Actually, yep, um, Andrew's the guy we're working with. So, oh, yeah. classic, yeah, classic. Yeah. Well, tell, yeah. small um, world, tell, him I, tell him I said hi. It's, oh, it's oh, awesome. Oh, but oh. that. But the brain of those those things is, is navigating is a blueprint, right, of, of how this thing works. And so come to charity, it's, it's the same thing. But it makes me feel way more hopeful for what this future generation of workers and decision makers look like. And I've been thinking of it as a thing called the squeeze. And the squeeze is where, you know, the, the, the threes and fours from back in the day who are the young buck, shut up, go get me coffee person, are now becoming the marketing managers, the GMs, the MDs, the mm. CEOs. And this gap between the the old world leadership of, you know, the, you know, 55 to 65 plus, whatever it may be, yep. of that old school thing into this new, it feels like it's dropped down quite a bit in the last 10 years. It almost feels like it's it's gone, you know, 15, 20 years younger in 10 years time the other way. The cool thing that I, I like about that is, you know, to, to you know, I'm 37, you, uh, and th these are older. I'm probably at the younger end of the squeeze, but we've got more of these awesome leaders that are coming out. Either you know, the, the Craig Hudsons and the Jolly Hodsons and the, the the this sort of this tier. It gets me way more positive about the future for Aotearoa business and leadership, knowing that it's fresher faces, fresher thinking, and and a lot more. It feels, and I obviously know a few of them too genuinely inclusive to a better New Zealand. Do you, from your world that you're seeing, do you see the same thing? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, and I see it more now that I'm in the uh, the um, charity sector. Uh, less so in banking. I think banking is, it, it, you know, it tends to lag a little bit. I think what we're seeing in banking now is a lot of very strong female leaders coming through, which is which is good. Um, and but we're probably a, a, a generation away of seeing those young leaders come through because it, it's a very old school kind of uh, sector. Um, but certainly, you know, I think you, we were talking early on about entrepreneurs and, you know, it used, they used to be the kind of weird guys that dropped out of school and they weren't educated and all that. And now they're the cool kids on the block, right? So I think that's why you're seeing that, that squeeze, that jump, because you've got people, I mean, look at the guy who started Zuru, um, you know, these are young people who are now significantly successful and they come with a definitely a different mindset the, the people I've worked with 30 and below think more like I probably thought when I was 20 um, in terms of being able to give back instead of just doing the job
And I, I guess maybe I'm surrounded more by those type of people now because of what I do in international development. But um, yeah, I, I, I think we're on a really good pathway. It'll take longer than we think. I mean, you always want it done today. But if it's going to be done authentically, a bit like the New Zealand, uh, that took a long time. You know, Andrew was talking to me about that stuff, you know, that they wanted to rush it. And it's like, no, you've actually got, it's got to be real. It can't be mm. just you're putting the uh, cure at the front and now we're done. You know, it needs yeah. And I think those leaders, are, it's really important to them. It's so on the money. And I think you're definitely right. The the catch up for everyone else pushing the demand, usually it's not necessarily from the board table down. This feels like it's the community up, the employees, the public, the people, they are wanting this, they are feeling that. So, you know, you've obviously come from a very heavy finance sort of side, but then coming into this world of, of charity and impactful charity, is there what was kind of the key things that you brought over skill set wise, which you wouldn't have thought it would have translated from commerce into charity? Yeah, I, I think probably the big thing that I've noticed is, um, is just bringing some of those commercial uh, capabilities, not necessarily finance, but commercial. So um, in the charity sector, you tend to find people who quite rightly are driven by purpose. Um, and it's like it's like any sector, though. You know, if you start banking when you're 19, you tend to be a banker when you're 50. Uh, if you start, you know, moving supply chain logistics when you're 19, you, you tend to stay, right? Um, although the next generation is moving a lot more around, which is pretty cool. But the people who are in charity, um, you know, there was quite a lot of tenure. The CEO before me was 17 years in the role. There were people, you know, the average tenure in, the, in my group of people was probably about 13 years, which is wonderful because the knowledge is all there. Um, but because, and it's not but, and because they are so focused on that, maybe sometimes they're not so focused on some of the commercial aspects. Um, so I probably bring more of a, um, you know, the basics of business, I would say, which is, you know, making sure you've got your right measurements in place, making sure you've got, um, that's agreed with the board, that your strategy's in place, that your, the KPIs for all your team are linked to your strategy and that the, the team know that what, their part of that role is um, those things are probably a bit lacking um, but wonderful people really able to learn and grow in that so that's been really joyful kind of moving that forward but it, for me it's what's really important what i guess i didn't think so is that you know when you're not in a charity when you're in a you know a big company you can carry people right because you're making lots of profits and you know there's there's people around and not everyone's, but in a charity, when you're carrying someone, that money is not going to your cause, right? Mm -hmm. So I think your capability set, ironically, should be higher in a charity because it's so important what we're doing rather than the other way around, which is because I volunteer, uh, maybe I don't have to be the best. I would say, you know, it should be inverted. For some reason, we pay commercial people more money than we do in the charity sector. That, I would rather pay the best in the charity sector if mm. we can get them because those people will make a bigger difference to the mission. So you've got to, you know, you could, you, your passion for the charity is a given, it, but you've got to earn your seat. You've got to have your capability. And I've, I'm lucky to work with a very good team that has that. So on that, on that point, Mark, you, you know, you're talking about these skill sets that exist within it. It's very similar to on the, you know, the, the, the I always feel, feel this intersection of um, it, it feels almost copy paste between say the creative side versus the charity side where great creativity, horrendous uh, 
commercialization of that of that creativity you have charity with all the love and the care piss or actually dollars to go there's a, there's a misalignment between the passion versus the profit so how how have you navigated that tension between like charity and per, maybe like heart versus head do you think yeah, of that yeah. like tension of i've created like how do you have you navigated that that mini journey for this next phase of your career yeah um look it's the thing is as i said here you've got you've got to have your both in that right the, pur the purposes are given uh, and everyone in my team we are passionate about what we do we the people they stay a long time because what they do is really important um navigating that with the team has been relatively easy because they're very open to learning um, and we can see the opportunities we have for example you know when you can reduce your rent by driving a better commercial deal on rent which doesn't sound like a very interesting thing to do and it's not but that puts potentially tens of thousands more dollars into programs that give people fresh water and health kits and uh, disaster recovery. So there's a real opportunity in that. And I think once they, they see that you can look at where you're spending your money, how you're spending your money and create space to grow your impact, that's a real opportunity. So that's, that's kind of how we've done it. We've really engaged the whole team um, we run innovation sessions at the moment where, you know, the team will be like, you know, what's what's getting in your way? Where can we be more efficient? How can we either improve our impact on the ground where we, we work or um, improve our expense load? And it's just those conversations starts people thinking a little differently. And then all of a sudden you start to get the creativity coming through aligned with the commercial aspects, which is, as to your point, entirely critical. So, so to that point, Mark, when you talk about, you know, engaging the team and alignment within it, how have you tried to solidify and unify that, that thinking of, of clarity of purpose within the organization from coming from the outside in? Was it a process of, you know, absorbing in from everyone, resetting the deck and saying, this is where we're going, this is the vision and sort of painting that? Just talk me through the, how you, yeah, I guess, yeah. approach that engagement and alignment of a team for a new mission mm -hmm. on a new journey. Yeah, I was actually fascinating for me. So all of my moves prior, you know, in the past sort of 15 years, uh, so I was at Sovereign for eight years, I did nine different roles. I came into it either a subject matter expert or a generalist expert. And um, I went to a friend of mine when I got this job and, I, and she works in the charity sector as well. And I said, so what's the one thing I shouldn't do or should do? And she said, whatever you do, don't walk in there and think that you can change everything and, and you know it all just shut the hell up and listen for a bit, which is obviously quite hard for me, but I, but I did. Um, My and wife tells me the same thing. I, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> her example was, I think she'd had um, four or five in her career and in, in her charity. Um, men, uh, men, totally men actually, came from the commercial sector, tried to make a difference and all left within a year because they were trying to, take what they knew and apply it to a new context rather than actually like take what you knew okay bank that but then listen so my first three months was a lot of listening um we had a new strategy that we were building so i worked with my senior team on just like rolling that out but we didn't try to change i think that's the big thing i didn't try to change everything at once you, you recognize that if you want to make sustainable change it's got to take time so i spent a bit of time listening we built the we built the um strategy with the senior team we we socialized it and got feedback from the team all the way through then we took it to board so it didn't go to board until the whole team had seen it they'd all batted it around we'd had you know not everyone agreed with all of it which is entirely fine 
Um, and part of it was our challenge was we didn't have the, they didn't have access to the data that showed them that some of these things needed to be done. So, mm. you know, opening their eyes with data, making a data driven decision, because once you've got data, usually it's pretty easy that the answer is sort of staring you in the face, right? How you do it's up to you, but the, the, the fact that something needs to be done is death. I think that was one of our critical turning points. Now, part of that too, I'm imagining if you're a bit hesitant to change and a new face comes in and starting to tell you what it is, it's instant handbrake regardless because <laughs> it's just how humans are. But I guess the ninja move there is like saying, hey, this is the data which you may not know and you let the data speak to plant the seeds of what needs to happen without the new face actually potentially saying it, right? So it's a, it's like a soft breathe into it. Like I've even been, you know, for sustainable change if you talked about, it's either you shock the system and it, it switches it up real quick, like <laughs> for example, I don't know if you saw the video of Elon Musk walking into Twitter and he's he's carrying a sink and he says, let that sink in (laughs) to it. And he just, in one hit, he comes through and just destroys all the stuff and then everyone's just losing it. I'm guessing approaches like that probably don't work not only well in New Zealand, but potentially not in a charity in New Zealand either, but it's definitely a different approach to it. So for that, for the the buy-in, do you feel now the things... Like how much faster do you feel it's got in terms of what you're focusing on when it feels this genuine alignment within the team because they've got all the data, there's no questions or handbrakes or whatever. How 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 much more efficient is the engine of doing that thing first, hmm. you feel? Well, look, to be fair, I'd say we're still on the journey of that. I wouldn't say we're perfect. Uh, the data is there now It's it's a bit, and we need to get more to define to, to new outcomes. Um, I have had some turnover on the team. It's, it's the great resignation in New Zealand and and you know, part of that will be because of a new style, but part of that will be because sometimes when you've been there for a long time and the, and the old boss leaves, you go, actually, I should be thinking about that too. And we're you know, beyond full employment at the moment. So if you want a job somewhere else, you can pretty much get it. Um, so I'm building the team up again. I've got my new fundraising manager arrived a week ago. I've got a great uh, director of programs arrived four months ago. So we're still doing a sort of our, our storming part of our, our world, getting that together. Um, but I can feel like the, we're having the same language used now. We're starting to talk the same language. We're starting to have the same information. There was a disinformation before. There were people who knew some things and people who knew other things and no one knew all of it. So uh, transparency of info is critical to me. Um, you can't you know, talk a little bit about uh, you know, time management and all of this stuff. And um, there's, a, there's a leadership style that I don't subscribe to. Uh, called the genius with a thousand followers and uh, so what it means it keeps you really busy right so because every decision had to come to me which is great so I feel really busy I feel really empowered I feel independent indispensable but it's it's immensely inefficient social transaction costs are through the roof people then don't have no accountability or responsibility so that's the whole shift I'm trying to make here which is they give them the the goal we're trying to achieve, the power to make decisions, the right tools to do it, and then make them. And then if it, if it's wrong, let's learn from it. You know, we're mm. we're in a situation where the learning is absolutely critical. So that's kind of the shift. And those shifts don't take place overnight. You don't go from you know I just do my job to now you want me to learn and make decisions. That's a little scary for some people, but mm. with the right support, that's where we're going. 
It's very cool. If you're just uh, tuning in, I'm with Mark Collins, the CEO of Child Fund New Zealand. Um, I'm, I'm interested to go on your, um, I highlighted a word here, on your uh, LinkedIn profile it says, I'm able to effectively articulate strategic visions into clear tactical objectives at an operational level. So that skill set alone is something which not many flipping people actually have <laughs> because always in these organizations that goes super wide or whatever if you're a you know a, a small business owner or you're running teams or whatever when you think about how you approach you know clearly articulating these strategic visions that go into ops what advice would you give for someone listening that's running that that wants to do that but doesn't know how yeah um look it's a tough one because it depends on the complexity of your organization right um but i'm very keen or try is wherever possible to get one line or one thing that you're doing because people can't take um the mckinsey says you can't do more than five or three effectively i think it's kind of one you want to just have one and i i remember my first um job at nzhl when i built the strategic plan and it was all very big with nice pictures and graphs and stuff um and then the board at the time asked me to articulate you know so you know spoil it all down and i said look it's as simple as get more people to sell more stuff. So, and if you just have, if you can articulate it like that, people can get that. They're like, okay, so we're either recruiting people or we're making them more productive. Those are the two pathways. So if I'm not doing something that's either recruiting people or making them more productive, then I'm not fitting the strategic vision. So that's what we try to do. Um, at the moment, you know, we, we've got a vision of being more impactful. And one of the things we're, we're wrestling with is, so how do we measure that impact? So... I, and I wish I had, wish I'd got that, right? I wish I could just give you a pithy answer and go, impact looks like this. You know, it's more children, it's more water for clean water. It's it's more complex in my world because we do, you know, everything from providing clean water to hygiene kits to disaster recovery to, you know, building moringa plants, um, processing plants and dairy factories. And so there's, it's very hard to articulate it as easy as get more people to sell more stuff, but that's the challenge. So I'm hoping, you know, over the next year, we'll be able to articulate it down to that very simple phrase because then people can understand. And then the conversations you have them will come really easy. What did you do today that moved that dial forward? Or that, well, what, the, the next little segue I was going to get into, Mark, so exactly at that point, you've got this mega list of stuff you can do across all these different, you know, verticals and way to help and logistics and people and communities. How do you currently prioritize where you want to target and aim that energy? Yeah, How do you well, do great, it internally? Great question. So our, one of our um, key strategies that we have is that we want to focus more on the Pacific. So if COVID shows us anything, um, at the moment, you know, we've, we work all around the world. Um, but COVID has shown us that there's a lot of deprivation here in New Zealand, uh, in the Pacific. We don't have to go all the way over to Africa to find kids that don't have access to clean water, who aren't well, who aren't educated, or have access to education, right? So um, that's that's the first part. It's like getting getting your focus right there. Uh, you know, then what we do is we adopt something called localization, which I, I love it. So if you if you think of the opposite. Um, the charitable world in the start used to be what, I, what we call white saviorism, right? So the, the white people come in and they go, right, you need a school because we have schools and you need a school. And then they build a school, right? And a classic example, they build a school on the wrong side of an elephant corridor. So the kids can't go to school because they're scared of the elephants. Or the kids can't go to school because actually they walk three to four miles a day to get water, clean water, take it back to their house by the time they're back and they've had breakfast, it's 12 o'clock. 
and they can't get to school. And in some countries, you can't go to school without uniforms. So you build, you know, there's a there's white elephants all over the world of these sort of colonial. You need this because you want to be like us. So we adopt something called localization. So how we prioritize is when we work with the community, we will sit with the community leaders, we'll sit with the local government, we'll sit with community partners and go, what is it that this community needs? And we let them decide what their priority is. And we let them decide how it is that we can help. And there'll be times that we go, this is the stuff we want, but we can't help that. So we'll partner with another organization to help fulfill that. Because ultimately our goal is to graduate out of that place, right? So we want to have a sort of handout, not hand, sorry, hand up, not handout mentality. Um, when we work with people, we actually build plans, roadmaps, so that this is, well, when we get you from here to here, you'll be sustainable both economically and socially. So we don't no longer need to be part of this and you'll have the capability set to self-determine, which is so cool. I just love that. So that's that's one of the passions that I'm, I've got with this new role. Like that, that's that's an easy way to prioritize because it's not your priority, right? It's not you mm. telling someone what you need. You're actually asking them what they need. But to that point is when you're going to them for that, it becomes their idea and they're using your assets instead of you forcing on them like this kind of this, this the arrogance of the savior of because we do it, you do it. And then we tick the box because to that exact point, you're then box ticking, you're then doing the thing of like, hey, we've got this, you've got this. And they kind of force that that onto them, which obviously I'm sure in many times it's funky dynamic of like, hey i appreciate you trying to help but your arrogance is doing the wrong thing that is more helping yeah. not actually making our lives actually better which probably causes tension internally especially on the localization side my um when i was younger i used to live in fiji and my dad worked for like a, a habitat for humanity type business so we would work with oh, um, okay. local villages with fr fresh water and um and uh building houses and stuff it was the same thing you get you, you you work with the chief and the people find out the thing and you do with not not two or four um yeah so 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 on that right i'm, I'm interested so you've got you know heavy finances you come into this you've got the balance off now you've got the the, the kayak the kayak business too so what is your escapism from the craziness the side business of another actual business or yes, where, where, where's the gap you got it in one i mean I, the way i say it like i just i left plastic on the weekend to uh to keep myself fit so you know it's it's my partner runs it through the week there's you know most of the businesses on the weekend and it's you know it's big we've got 85 kayaks and on big days they're all out right so i literally run myself stupid on the weekend moving bits of plastic and paddles around but what's wonderful about it is it's so different from what I do during the week. It does feel like a break. Um, we work with our family, so my kids work here. You know, it's it's actually just a wonderful uh, experience. And it's only a kind of summer job. So pretty much from October to March, I work seven days a week, but two different jobs. So that's where I get my balance. And sometimes it rains, so we get a day off. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so so because um, usually when people are tapped, they want, you know, some people won't want to see a human and just read and zone out. Some people want to meditate. Some people, you know, whatever their their balance off is. But that's why when, when you'd said that, I'm going, wait, so on your time off, you do another job? Like, that's pretty <laughs> gnarly. But but to the point, too, do you, do you find it, um, is there something uh, cool about a revolving door of new faces and conversations and energy and community which drives it back right because it's not the is that a bit of the tone too which i kind of pick up yeah it's um look i, I get energized by people uh and you know and, and 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 much like the charity work but 
with with kayaks, I would say about 40% of our people have either never kayaked before or are very nervous. So to have these people who are nervous and we put them on the Puhoi River and ends up at Wenderhome Park and they they get in and, they, and, and you can tell they're nervous because they're tense and you're like, it's good, relax. And they go with the river and they come out and their faces when they come in, like, because we are at the end. It's just like big smiles, except for there's only, only grumpy people have been three teenage girls. So I don't know if that's a, that's a thing, but they their mum's in the back with the big smile, right? And then the front is the grumpiest person you've ever seen in your life who's just hating them. But, it's because they can't so, do their selfies for the TikToks, mate. They can't, they can't, <laughs> while they're doing it. <laughs> can't hold it with one hand, right? But, um, they can't yeah, they so, paddle so, with it to get their me, selfies. It brings me joy. Uh, also, also, I get to work with my family. You know, my um, daughter's coming back from university next week, so she'll work whole summer with us. Her boyfriend, my son's going away, but his girlfriend's working with us. So we have this little crew of people who enjoy our work. We have a good time and we do a great thing for, for um, you know, local Kiwis who have never done this sort of stuff before in gym. Well, Mark, it sounds like a great sound, but, but realistically putting the financial hat on, it just sounds like you've just employed a bunch of cheap labor through the family, man. It's all <laughs> sounds like you, you got to fill up a little, a little, a little. <laughs> I don't pay them. I give them like, you know, food, oh, beer. No, of course they don't. <laughs> no, they're really expensive because we, we put the price up every year because they're like, every year you come and work for us, we'll give you more money. And it's getting, you know, it's starting to become, I have to do something else. And But it's not that, it's, it's all of the food because you're, 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 uh, you're the boss until you're dad. And it's like, hey, dad, I'm hungry. I'm like, well, look, if you were at another job, like, go and get your own freaking food. But no, I've got to do that too. So there's all the food that comes with it. But uh, it's great to have what, a full house, happy people. Yeah, no, it, it's, it sounds like a very uh, wholesome and hearty uh, existence, which is cool. So you're, um, I, I was going to, uh, wanting to ask you, so within the world of Aotearoa, charities, I believe, now you know the numbers better than myself, is one of the highest per capita rates of charities ever. Like everyone's got charity, it's just like insane. Yep. Two questions. Yeah. One, why is that number per capita so insanely massively high? And then two, if you were to reset the deck on how you could make charities more effective and efficient, what would you do? Oh, that's really, that's tough. The first ones, uh, so I, we have, I believe, over 38,000 charities in New Zealand. So to your point, you know, there's, there's, there's the big ones, there's the uh, international NGOs, there's big charities, New Zealand-based charities, but there's a lot of small ones. And I think um, it comes back to the generosity of Kiwis. Um, there's obviously gaps in every country's government policy that that is just not being met and so when kiwis find a problem whether it's a personal problem a friend's problem you know look at the give a little pages i mean they just go you know, insane if someone's got something we want to give but you if you if it's a big slightly bigger problem you can start a charity and i think it's probably reasonably easy to start a charity in new zealand it's probably a little harder overseas um but i love the fact that people are doing it for the right reasons you know this is not I'm not doing it. There's no money in it. So you're doing it because you want to make the world a better place for whatever lens you have. So I really like that. And I think there was some research recently that's saying New Zealand are the most generous country in the world per capita in terms of giving dollars. Obviously, there's only five and a half million of us, but that's pretty awesome. So that's the first bit. Um, would I, how could I, re, what was the second question? Reset it? Yeah, like if you, I mean, clearly there's a lot of duplications with, with backing and yeah, copy pasting yeah. 38,000 different things. But realistically, if you put them into buckets, I'm guessing there might be 20 or so actual things of either dog or cancer or kids or whatever it may be. Yeah. If you were to take a 
purely ruthless spreadsheet financial <laughs> macro overview of the uh, the charity climate in Aotearoa to make it more effective and efficient. What would you do, and how would you yeah. do it? It's it's really it's really tough because I think that you know you could say let's let's put all of the you know the animal charities together, but even within that you've got SPCA with blind, the Blind Dog Association, you've got Feral Cats Association, you've got they're all they're all such individual lenses, right? Um, I don't think you could. I think by con by combining it, you'd probably lose the donor base because they'd be like, well, I, I used to give to that because that was really important to me. Um, but now it's that and it's a group of other things that aren't as important to me. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be as keen. I mean, certainly we've got about 11,000 donors at Child Fund, many of whom are child sponsors. And, um, you know, so they sponsor children in certain countries. And, and that, that's really important to them, that relationship with the child and, and watching the child grow. And if I just said, OK, by the way, we're, we're going to join up with these other charities and we're just going to support all children, you, you might lose some of the... The donors because that's what's important to them so i, I guess that's why we probably have thirty-eight thousand people really focused on so, one particular issue well because what i was wondering Mike, with it, is, it, is it about the the genuine care of kiwis to try and help others which does make sense or is it the stubbornness of like stuff it i'll just do it myself i'm starting a charity because <laughs> i've got thirty-eight thousand ones so maybe the answer is the 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 collective power of of bigger buckets Cats wouldn't work because it would actually go away from like, you know, I only care about, you know, cats that live in the far north with one leg <laughs> that do whatever. <laughs> but maybe maybe the actual play is the, the layer two infrastructure of the software as a service or whatever to make the charities more effective with the time to actually yeah. save on it. And maybe that the actual play is there is like integrate some technology, have you have you whatever, but then do it the other way. Because I can imagine there must be a lot of these people five percent and probably all have full-time jobs this is the passion piece on the side and they've got to kind of just these if you look at the process structure of what these things exist i look at it and go i bet there's some inefficiencies there i bet there's probably some some tech we could plug in to make it better so maybe the players yeah. that maybe we maybe we should have a thousand hundred thousand charities but just run more effectively so more of the time and resource can actually go to it similar to your point around the uh, the commercial leases very interesting yeah, I think uh, the one that would stick out to me is, and it's very poor in most charities, is database management, especially the, you know, as you get bigger, um, people don't collect the right data, then they can't use the right data, they can't segment their data to get, you know, to align your offerings to the various donor bases. Um, so that that would be to, to have that. I mean, there, there are systems out there. Um, none of them are perfect. Um, and we're all using different ones and we're potentially not inputting the right stuff into them. But yeah, that'd be where you go. Do you find it's um, a lot of the relationships are like co-opetition where it's like, yeah, we're, we're, we're collective, but we're competing, but it's like, well, yeah. who's got the donors? Oh, like, do you find, yeah. So, so what are the dynamics of how, because I'm imagining you know, I've got friends that have done well for themselves and, you know, they align with the charity or this and then they get bombarded, whatever. How do you d describe the, I guess, navigating the, the energy of competition between so many other different charities when such a small marketplace, it's obviously uh, pretty fractional in the global economy, but still making lots of impact in their own ways. Yeah, look, uh, I, I was surprised at the level of cooperation between them, you know, so, so in my mind, you know, again, I had, that's the bit I had to get my head around, come from a commercial, happy to cooperate with you as long as I win, it's the, 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 the old world, right? Um, 
I think where we get to and where it's really effective is we, um, we've just launched, in, for example, in uh, Solomon Islands joining forces with World Vision and Save the Children. And we're advocating for changing the Child Marriage Act to be older at the moment, it's 15. So where we can cooperate to do programmatic outcomes, that's awesome. That we absolutely should do that because, you know, we all have different lenses. Say if the children's lens might be more corporate basis, you know, World Vision might be more church-based, we're more donor-based. So think cooperation there all day long. Um, cooperating on the fundraising side is probably less effective because we've, you know, as I said, you're interested in one particular aspect, right? The, 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 what was it, one-legged cats or the whatever it is that you're, you're, you're passionate about. So, you, so to, to cooperate there to fundraise, that's where the competition does come in. Um, and I think it's, it's just, it's, it's a benign competition because we're all trying to make the world a better place, right? And it's just our cause is going to speak more to some people than other people's causes. So mm. um, we're all very friendly about it. But the other thing is you probably don't need to share all of your secrets about your fundraising ideas. Having said that, there's yeah. not a lot of innovation in the sector at the moment. Um, although the one the other agree. night I blew me away with, uh, I don't know if you saw it on TikTok. So TikTok was starting to film uh, like refugees and pay people to film refugees and then you could put money straight to them. But it turns out, it's a BBC, turns out it was on BBC, 70% uh, of the money was going to TikTok. So they were carving off 70% and the actual people who were being filmed were getting about 10% of the money, which is why you should always use a registered charity because there's a whole lot of other things. And we've got, you know, governance, independent boards, we're independently audited to make sure that the money is going where it's going. So that's the downside of, you know, innovation. Uh, it can be really great, but it also opens it up for some pretty nefarious activity. Get that. So you've gone through the world of finance, come to the world of charity. You've got the kayaks and getting buffed and yoked all summer. If you fast forward out 10, 10 years from now, where do you, how do you see your energy being split in, in 2030, yeah, no, 2030, cool. there you go. 2030. Um, look, I think uh, I, I have a view on CEOs and in, in any organization is that they should probably roll out every four or five years. Uh, I think if you stay too long, you tend to defend the decisions that you made early on, whether they're right or wrong and, and the, the market moves and it's just too hard to stay ahead of the game. So. I think about five years is about right. Um, after that, I'm thinking we, uh, my partner and I are looking at volunteer opportunities overseas. The kayaks is sort of eight months of the year, so that gives us three or four months to go over and volunteer and actually work in the field with some of the, the roles that you know we know are out there that can make a difference. Um, and that kind of get, ticks my box for what I love, which is traveling, but also giving back. So that, that's what I think 23 is going to look like, I hope, for me. There you go. Hey, really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us and best of luck um, getting buff for the summer. Thanks, mate. Take care. <laughs> Cheers. How good was that? That was Mark Collins, the CEO of Child Fund New Zealand. I love the thinking in there about, you know, it has to be more than just profit. It needs to be purpose driven. How do you clearly articulate the strategic visions of a company to get into the operational level? Also cool as well, talking about the balance of, you know, creativity and charity when it comes to commerce, balancing off what you can do with how you can do it better to make better outcomes for the organization that you're in. Always interesting to see too, the, the crossover of, you know, greenwashing that people have done to brownwashing that people are thinking about, uh, about the, the, the cultural space. And then, you know, how do 
what are these drivers behind Kiwis that makes us one of the most per capita of uh, charities all over the world? 38,000. 38,000 different charities. Personally, my my advice is there needs to be not so many flipping charities. That just seems like quite a lot. But, you know, when people are care and they're, you know, very driven for a cause, it's awesome that Kiwis care so much to try and do um, a bunch more on top of it. Although, if you're running a charity, maybe think about how technology can make your life potentially a little bit easier with a, a little bit more, you know, process system and structure that can potentially be automated through tech so you can have more time and save more money to help your, you know, your one-legged caps in the far north or whatever, <laughs> whatever it may be. I love seeing young leaders in New Zealand do awesome and I'm stoked to be able to talk to weapons like Mark for spending time with us on Rebet Live for Today FM. Don't forget you can download the app anywhere you get, uh, the Rover app you can download it or if you're just going uh, on iTunes or wherever it may be, Spotify, you can just search for hashtag Rebet Live and it'll pop it up and enjoy over 300 episodes of awesomeness. I hope the rest of your week goes awesome, I hope this has been some good listening and I hope you keep it rural. Be good, be great, and have fun. Cheers, team.